Our youth unemployment rate is 28%. We will inherit over $2 trillion in debt. Half of our boys grow up fatherless. 16,000 young women first get pregnant before they reach 16. In 2015, one person was murdered every seven hours. Jamaica, it's time for talk up so we can fix up and kick out these issues once and for all. You ready for talk up on Talk Up Radio? Let's go!
make him go. Hold him, Joe, hold him, Joe. Hold him, Joe, don't you let him go. Me donkey want. Hold him, Joe. You better rock for your daughter. Hold him, Joe. She says she named Kata. Hold him, Joe. I want a pretty, pretty daughter. Hold yeah, me donkey want water. Hold yeah, him, Joe. I want a rock for your daughter. Hold him, Joe. I saw the chicken follow the hen. I saw the woman follow the man. I saw the chicken follow the hen. I saw the woman follow the man. She says she named Kata. Me donkey want water. You better rock for your daughter. Yeah, me donkey want water. Me donkey want water. Yeah, I'm gonna rob me daughter. I saw the woman follow the man. I saw the chicken follow the hen. I saw the woman follow the man. She said she named Kata. Me donkey want water. Hey, you better rock for your daughter.
Welcome to Talk Up Radio on Nationwide 90 FM. Talk In Up the Radio. land of our birth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Talk Up Radio is the voice of the Jamaican youth brought to you by the U Open Campus and the Caribbean Maritime University. I'm Christina. I'm Andrika. We're so happy to be here. Like, you know, we've been sitting in here since 8 o'clock waiting for the show to start. Right, Christina? And listening to these amazing old-timey yes. tunes like Mentor and all them folk songs and thing. Yeah, it's, it's this weekend is is one of our favorite weekends, you know. And not because we get an extra day to stay in our bed, some some of us. <laughs> <laughs> but also because we get to go back, look back, learn more, um and teach too because you can't learn too much and you can't teach too much, can you? There you go. All the learning is is valuable. So today we're talking about our history, our culture, all the things that came before that shaped us into who we are today. And we're going to sit back you know the youth we're going to kind of shut up a little bit <laughs> and hear from the people who know who can educate us about what we need to know as a people or history or heritage or culture because we are acknowledging that by virtue of being born less than 30 years ago we don't know everything and we probably know probably five percent of what we need to know so we have our pens on our papers and you know we make sure we have our water and everything so we don't gotta move and we're just gonna listen (laughs) yes and believe me the people we're gonna listen to they're so powerful they have so much information guys believe me yeah, man. So we're connecting with the culture. We're going to listen to Professor Vereen Shepard, you know, and she's going to tell us some of the history. And then after we speak to Pro- Professor Shepard, we're going to talk to Stephen Golding. The man. Guys. <laughs> the man himself. If you've been listening to Talk Up Radio over our period here on Nationwide, you know, say every time Stephen come in you know, and he talk to us, it's like Whoa. mind blown. <laughs> We just sit there like, what? I was even saying to Christina that combining him and um, Dr. Shepard, oh boy. Exactly. Lord, it's, an explosion it's an explosion of <laughs> education and information. We are, I, I can't impress on you how excited we are. The roof is figuratively going to go one off. moment <laughs> and listen. And you know, this is part of our history, of our heritage and our history and our culture. We as young people back in the day used to sit down and listen to the older people tell us, you know, what used to be and how to shape our future going forward. So this is right in line with our history as a people. Yeah, and all else we're going to about the bush tea, something of them, and the little remedy, something of them, yeah, and you know, the little stories. We can't know that by ourselves. There you go. So we have to be told. So we'll take the, the back burner today and listen to the griots, the people who hold the history and can tell us so that we can shape our future, right? Mm, but a little bit about why we saw it very, very important to really have this topic is because really and truly, it's often said that Jamaica is losing its culture. And I kind of believe it because you realize that we're straying away and our generation, to be honest, really don't know anything. We, yeah, we know there was a little slavery and um, it, it, somebody discovered Jamaica sometime. We don't even remember the date. It's very interesting that yeah. you start with slavery because that's how history starts for a lot of us. For a lot, of, if not all. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. We don't know nothing before that. We don't know what come after we don't know the complexity of what happened so today we're going to get some of that with uh, Professor Vereen Shepard Stephen Golings, the president of the Kingston chapter of the UNIA and O'Shane Robinson who's a communications consultant at the National Heritage Trust now we have to go to our break and we will come back in our the floor belongs to (laughs) Professor Vereen Shepard and if you were listening to her earlier you know 
you know guys you know what we're talking about every single saturday you hear the kind of quality of information that this lady has to give to us so we're ready right ready talk of you msefi talk of you we soon come back Talk up radio on Nationwide 90 FM. There are no monkey men in here, but I we love promise that song. I was hugging up a monkey man. I don't know. It was imaginary. Don't worry. What is a monkey man, by the <laughs> way? I think Prof can tell us because <laughs> in studio we have the boy. And how do you describe this woman? This powerful. So oh my god. PhD in history. Professor. Uh, director of the Center for Reparation Research. A wonderful mentor. Books, books, oh my God. Books and <laughs> books. Like, I mean, I read Prof's books in high school, you know. Like, <laughs> she spoke for five minutes last week and we were all sitting in here like, oh um, my God, can we change the show? Like, yeah. can we just do this all day? <laughs> so we make sure we plan up and get to do that this week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know like we were saying before it's often said that jamaica is losing its culture you know sometimes we fondly remember the days of gathering as a family listening to your granny or as a community and they're telling you all the things that used to happen but mostly for us the new millennials those days have kind of been replaced you know nowadays we'll come home to the empty house eat the foreign cereal watch the foreign cartoon them on tv surf the net there's no like face-to-face interaction in like a group which is a big part of our culture as as african people you know but you know we the youth we want to know the history we want to connect with the culture and we are kind of dissatisfied with the lack of information yes sir as in we have a really dig up you have to have an actual interest in it to go and find it it's not taught to you in school the the interest isn't peaked you know what i mean and honestly for me i feel like it should be pushed on us 
it I should feel be. Like it's it too important for you phase. to leave it up to us. Yes, it should be like math. Like, why can't I learn algebra when I don't want to learn algebra? Yep. But you don't want to teach me there about go. my yeah. No, we need this in our face, people. Yeah, it should be compulsory <laughs> like that all the way up because there's so much to learn about. So that's what we're doing today, Prof Shepard. Uh, thank you for having me. Two weeks in a row. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that's my that's my luck. That's my luck. Actually, it's our luck. We're thank blessed you. to have you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm interested, though, in why it is that you didn't study history in school. You didn't do history? I did. All the way up, up to up Cape. To, up to Cape. Yeah. But not you? No, I didn't. Honestly. Okay. You know, Well, you have to join the lobby. You, know, you have to use this program as a, a vehicle right. to support the lobby to make carbon history compulsory in schools. We have been lobbying as historians. We have lobbied through our individual letters to ministers of education across the region. Mm -hmm. We have visited ministers of education. We have used the Association of Caribbean Historians as a medium for doing that. But nobody now listened to we. So mm. I think we need the people like you who have been deprived right. to, to step up and use, use this program. Definitely. To add your voices because... Well, my, and, and again, you, you're not hearing it at all. My mother was my first history teacher, mm -hmm. meaning that I grew up in a poor district, you know. in Well, when I say poor, it's relative, eh? Because yeah. since I've come to Kingston, I've seen real poverty. Now I realize that I wasn't as poor as people We're wanted a little bit me more to privileged. feel. Like yes. what Protege is saying. Uh, you yes, see? poverty not real then. That's yes. what the reason because we're in, in my in my little village, there was always food. We had, you know... Dashin, cocoa, yam, cassava, banana. You know, we had well, we we had all kind of bushes to make tea. Mm -hmm. You know, we had mango, all kind of fruits. You know, and you know there was a little piece of land that my father managed to buy. We we live in a in a proper house. You mm -hmm. know, so even though we were infrastructurally challenged, and people call my district Africa. You know, because of their stereotype of the continent. They don't oh. know how powerful the continent is. They don't know all the riches of, I mean, those days. Hopefully, the knowledge is better now. Mm -hmm. But they call my it's district, not. they call my district Africa. So, my first history lesson was to learn about Africa. Believe me, by five years old, I was asking, but why is the district called Africa? What is the meaning of the name? So, I got a lesson about Africa before the transatlantic trafficking in our ancestors and i think that's where we have to start we can't start with enslavement there you go and it's because we start with enslavement why so many of the children in jamaica and in the diaspora are ashamed of africa yes, and ashamed of themselves because if people tell you you come from a place that is primitive backward not no good no guande why should you feel proud? You have to take out the empowering stories. People even think that Timbuktu isn't a real place. You know, Timbuktu is a real place. It was a source of universities before universities in this part of the world. So we have to seek out the origins of our ancestors and teach about that before we can um, come to this place in which we are because the place in which we are were inhabited by first nation peoples the colonizers came and practically wiped them out i'm not saying wiped them out because we do have descendants from the taino people still living in jamaica right and in many other societies within the region latin america you go to latin america you see indigenous people but i want to be clear 
that there was a genocidal policy. There was a genocidal policy. It's just that the people didn't run away, some of them. Some of them defended their space successfully, and over time they repopulated themselves. So I want to get that clear. We must make history compulsory. We must have history lessons in our homes. And we are to teach our children not to be ashamed of their origins because their origins are glorious origins. Definitely. Want me to go on? Of course. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but okay. I love how you you've brought in, you know, the first people who were on this land, the people who because when we talk about our history as Jamaica, we can't forget that we are out of many one, right? There there's more to it than just us as African descendants and the descendants of the Chinese. So let's start from the very, very beginning of this land. Who was mm-hmm. here first? Yes. What were they like? So where arch- are they now? The, the Jamaica National Heritage Trust has some great archaeologists. And the archaeology which they have done have revealed, uh, the archaeology has has revealed that the first peoples were the Taino people. And these were people who made their way up the chain of islands from Venezuela. And before that, from the, the east, in fact, the world is round, right? So people can travel. They were nomadic people um, settled in this, in this, the area we call Greater Antilles. Mm-hmm. So Cuba... Hispaniola, that is Haiti, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Puerto Rico. Uh, we had the Taino people. Other places in the region had Arawaks. And the Arawaks were less a less developed civilization than the, the Taino. They were sedentary, settled people. They had their own culture. They had their own gods. They had their own religion. They had their own um, artifacts. And if you go right now to the Jamaica National Heritage Trust or the University of the West Indies Archaeology Lab or the Institute of Jamaica, you will see the evidence of the pottery. When they were digging up White Mall the other day to make road, people found whole bowls from our ancestors. So we, wow. the next thing we need is a national museum yes. with rooms dedicated to the people of Jamaica. So you can see the first peoples and their culture. You can see Africans and what they bought and so on and so on and so on so we want to say there there are books that people can read like from Miss Atkinson from the Jamaica National Heritage Trust Um, Leslie Gale Atkinson who was a book on the first peoples um, of, of Jamaica so we need to understand that we didn't pioneer our culture that we are inherited from these Taino people and that the only reason we don't have more of them in our country is that when the Spaniards invaded Jamaica in, um, in 1494, they came with a policy to say that they must be the ones to be here. Mm-hmm. They must rule. And the people put up resistance and they ran away to the hills. Some were killed deliberately. Some died from diseases. And that's why we don't have... So we start from today to say, who are the people of Jamaica? And why don't we have more of these tiny people? And that is how we explain. We use history to explain the present. Okay? So I think if history was taught that way, then people wouldn't find it boring and, and, and so on. You know, so then... The, so, so the Maroons now, who we have, you know the, about the Maroons? Yes. Who are... Some people say they were African people who ran away from, you know, European colonization of our, of our country. We also have to remember that the indigenous people were the first people to run away from the Spaniards. Then when Africans came, they met up with African people who were also running away. And so the Maroons today, if you check out the Maroons today, you realize that 
within their DNA resides some indigenous people's um, DNA as well, the, 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 the Tainas. In fact, if you look at the physical features of some of the Maroons, you can tell that they have indigenous roots. Like we have to say this. Like we found that out this morning. This really? morning was the first time we knew that mm-hmm. that was like directly connected. Yes. Like, yeah. We yes. had no clue. Yes. So, of course, some of the Maroons might not look that way because they're African people who run away, right. you know. But Maroons are not savage people who, you know, if you, if you, you know, if you look at some of the definitions of Maroons, then you would think, oh, gosh, you know, I don't want to go up to Akompong because people are going to chase me down and blah, blah, blah. But that's not so. So we have to pick up the Maroons. Um, we, we have a contested history with the Maroons because after they signed the treaty with, with Britain in 1739, 38, 39, they had to sign that they would return anybody else who, who ran away. They say that we need to understand the situation in which they were placed. Um, I'm, the jury is still out because I, I, I actually think that they should apologize for what for, for, for not for signing the treaty because they had to, you know, they forced the British to call Cree. You know, you know what I mean by call Cree? Yes, yeah, so stop, stop fighting. Now. Yeah, no stop fighting, fighting. No. Yeah. Yes. So... There are about five or so Maroon villages around with their own colonels and so on. And people should go up to the villages and talk to them and get a perspective because um, they say we have to balance the thing and understand the predicament they were in. They had to force the British to stop the fighting. And Britain wanted to stop the fighting because if the fighting continued, they couldn't build plant any more plantation and use our people in that way. And right? let's call Cree on this part of this conversation <laughs> and take a break because we have to balance the thing as yes, well, we right? Talk of you, Musafi. Talk of you. More Prof Shepard when we come back. radio show <laughs> yes we're feeling all the love man i love this energy and i love this song like yes. bob marley's <laughs> something else yes he was the man we have a lot of men you know powerful men bob marley was one five for people but yes we're back on the talk of radio show and again we are the voice of the jamaican the strong voice of the jamaican youth <laughs> And guys, really and truly, if you want to call, um, join the conversation and ask profe- Professor. Uh, we already have a caller online. We do? Yes. Wow. It's because I was feeling all this love, I didn't realize. They're feeling the love too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm an imposter up here, the old person here. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> That's one. okay, that's we're, okay. We're feeding off of your energy. I, I you just understand? want to explain to the people why I've been suited that I'm not a youth. <laughs> But Very true. 
That's all right. It's all right. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. And mm-hmm. we are happy to have Professor Varine Shepard here. Like, we, we say it all the time, but it's just the information the years of, of, of you know knowledge we, we can't buy that and if you're just tuning in you know we're talking about our culture we're talking about our heritage we're going back we're digging up we're really and truly we're showing you that no it wasn't really just africa being a hungry continent a naked continent it was africa being powerful it was africa with the knowledge africa with the riches and Professor Shepard is actually showing us where it came from, how far it came from and all. But I think Tamika keeps signaling me that we have, that a, we have caller. a caller. <laughs> and I'm sure the caller wants to talk to us about some historical as well. So good morning, caller. Welcome to Talk Up Radio. Hi, good morning. How are you doing? We're um, doing swell. Okay. Um, well, I'm 53 years old and I have a question to ask um, Prof. Um, all right, so we have to give the, the big people some time to talk. Okay. The, the the word Taina, I never heard of that word until maybe three, four years ago. And I hear from Puerto Ricans when they're trying to, um, what's the word I'm searching for? Um, this, you know, when they're trying to talk down about um, black people, like black Americans, they say, oh, they, they're from Taina. They're from Taina Indians and this and that. But I never heard the word Tayana Indian and before that. Oh, okay. We, we shouldn't my, put Indian thing. in there. You shouldn't say another Indian. Thing, I, I, okay. They, 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 they said Tayana. Okay, another thing. I was taught about Arawak Indian in Jamaica. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the third thing, I was taught that they were all extinct. Mm-hmm. And me going, I left Jamaica when I was almost about to be 16. I never see anybody that look like they're from that descent are mm-hmm. mixed with black and and that that type of people like you said they are still those yes they are here like we're you wouldn't know because they look like anybody else you see because they are mixed the, the, okay that's what that's part of my point of making us i never really see people mm-hmm. that look that mixed. that okay i'm here and i see puerto rican that and dominican people that look like you know they mix with indian mixed with white black and mm-hmm. white but that okay. type of people I never see those type of people in Jamaica so yeah. I actually believe that all of those type of people actually no died, so let me died. explain let me explain they, they, for, for most of our history we were taught that the people the indigenous people who were here the first nation peoples were Arawaks oh yeah that's what I and, was and um, they were called Indians by Columbus because he made a mistake no if, if anybody else had made such a big mistake, that would have been corrected long, long time. And, and if it was a black person who made that mistake, you'd have heard, we're ignorant and blah, blah. But this man was lost and, you know, looking around and asking the indigenous people, where am I, where am I, where am I? May I go in there? <laughs> and I guess the people them said, go over so, you know. <laughs> but he was the one who left us with this impression that um, he had met some Indians. But... That's because he was looking for India, but he he didn't find India over this side. But we keep on this name India, India, India. No, the Indians came much later (laughs) in the 19th century. So, but the the archaeologists found out that the people who were in Jamaica were much more advanced, that the Arawak people are also indigenous, but they are at a lesser level, less developed level of civilization. And that the Taino people were kind of the sedentary, not nomadic, the, not walking up and down and moving their house from place to place. But they were settled 
indigenous people who had reached a certain level of sedentary civilization and culture. So they have told us that we, we were to stop saying Arawaks because Arawaks were somewhere else, very further down south, like in Guyana and so on. And the people we had were the kind of leaders, developed people of the, uh, of the indigenous people and that they are in Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, um, Haiti and Jamaica. So we have to make that shift in our consciousness and shift in our language. And then they were not Indians, so we stopped saying Indians, okay? And the okay, other I'm thing is, the other thing is that, wait now, they were not, they're not extinct because um, there was a big article in the, you know, in the Gleaner some, or some yes, years ago, with, we um, said, we are not extinct, we are here. Dr. Nigana Wedgin yes. said her grandmother, who looks like a Native American, right. uh, said that they've had their family in Jamaica for a very, yes. very long time and they are not extinct. They're, exactly. And they, they still have their culture and they connect yes. with other But they're a small group. They're a yes. small group because they, they, the population was, was, was large. But in 1492, when Columbus came to this part of the world, and then in 1494, in the second voyage, when he came to Jamaica, the Jamaican native people became the object of their genocidal policy. So this week, in fact, October 12, is the indigenous people's Holocaust Day. We just celebrated that on, on Friday because it's the day in which we remember what happened. Now, Spain celebrates that day as their national day. But for the indigenous people right across the Americas, it's a day of mourning, not for celebration. Spain celebrates Columbus, but the people mourn the impact of Columbus's invasion of the region. So you have to remember that. They're trying, they're trying that, you know, they said they want to get rid of Columbus Day and call it Indigenous yes, People's Day. that's right. And, and yeah. um, most people in our region now do not call the day Columbus Day. Um, but a day in solidarity with our Indigenous people because of the diseases, the, the, the loss of their, the, 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 the attempt to get rid of their culture. And the decimation of their population, the population, you know, as I said, only a few people were left in Jamaica. Jamaica had a, you know, real, real, um, the impact was real in terms of, of, of decreasing the, the population. And then some migrated to and some went up into the hills and became Maroons. And it's years later that they were joined by black people also running away from the Spaniards and the English. So that's why today you'd see that the, some of the Maroons, you know, are mixed with, with, with Taino blood. But they are still discernible Taino people. Um, many of them have gone to Puerto Rico because there's a larger population there. So they have, you know, a, a, a bigger yes, mass to make, a, to make a, a difference. Yes, yes, yes. And they're not inferior. But people, people who, who denigrate them and, you know, racist people would, would you know, use the term as a you know, a, a term to, to, to diss yeah, other people, yeah. but we shouldn't do that, yeah? Um, um, Puerto Rico, to me, my experience, Puerto Rican and Dominican, mm -hmm. they don't feel like, they don't find themselves West Indian or, or, or Caribbean. What do you say, Remember, you know? Some of them will say, some of them will say, um, I'm mixed with um, West Indian. Yes, yes, Rican, yes, yes. And, and Dominican. And another thing, your program, you didn't say what time is coming on Monday, is it 10, 10 o'clock? Oh, the oh the special heroes, heroes day program. Yeah, yeah. We're we're going to make an announcement, okay? We're going yeah. to make an announcement, but it's, it's sometime on Monday. Okay. But if you keep a radio lock on nationwide I, ninety FM, there's I no need for to ask me that. To make. I thought <laughs> your name was 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 Vereen. No, it's with a V. <laughs> and yeah, and my friend said it's Vereen. Yes. And we're about 
six months. I'm trying to hear if you say Darina Verna when anybody speak your name, but either they say it and it still so like a be to me until this morning. Your your all right. Person, I actually hear you said. Verna so I'm going to try to speak name? more Christina? clearly. Christina spoke no, 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 clearly. No, no, no. It's just that I, <laughs> that I thought it was, and then I hear Christina. Said, I'm very yes. Said, oh, Maybe you know that. Spanish, you know, because okay. to, in spelling the name in Spanish, you have to say B R E N E. All right then, thank you. Yeah, but I listened to you for about from the first day about six, seven years ago. I don't, I don't. And what is your name? No, man, I'm calling from New York. Ah, big well, up yourself, Norman. Welcome to the program. <laughs> okay, great, Norman. Right, so, so you see that there there are many misunderstandings about um about our history and heritage. All right, so we got to take a break. Thank you so much Mr. Norman for talking to us. Okay. There's so much All more right. to talk about guys. We don't even touch Africa before enslavement. We don't even touch the enslavement period. We don't even touch post emancipation. <laughs> we so much to talk about, right? right? When we come back we're going to try to get to that, right? Talk up you Mr. Talk up you. So I got my sweet 16. I wanna just pass 20. Jamaica, half century. I'm on the mission. A mission. Today is the day. Start your mission. Let's take it away. We gotta ride. Now the islands are small is a mystery How it means so much to world history All Bogle to Yavi to Mali to start in a worldwide Rasta ministry We're on a mission
we're gonna rise and we have risen and we're rising <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to talk up radio show the voice of the jamaican youth oh my god this show though and can you believe we've only touched like five years out of all the years that we need to talk <laughs> one segment <laughs> So I feel like I'm not even gonna say anything else. We're yeah, just we're gonna just gonna, gonna go listen. over to um, Dr. Shepard, to Prof. Okay. And I know you wanted to make a, a distinction about, you know, who wrote the history? Why is there so much misinformation? Yes, okay. Yes, that's a that's a good point, actually. I need to make that because remember that for, for a lot of people who have said that they have done history, the history they studied was a history written by external people who didn't necessarily have our interest at heart. Not all of them were bad, but most of the information would have been written from their perspective and their stereotypes about us. So since the establishment of the University of the West Indies in 1948 and the training of local historians and the, and the ability of our historians to actually go abroad, look in the archives and see what's actually there and re- rewrite the history, then we are beginning to understand more. So in terms of the Arawak thing, you see the, the archaeological society and all the archaeologists at the National Heritage Trust really went on a campaign once they made this discovery to educate people about it. But again, the message is not necessarily going around. When I was board chair of the Jamaican National Heritage Trust, I introduced something called Taino Day on the 5th of May every year. But I uh, don't know if it has continued, but it should because um, it's a way of, of really celebrating our indigenous people. Oh, yes. Prof, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're getting information that it's still being um, continued. Good. So yeah. that's great. It's, it's, it's continued and that's a way of celebrating our indigenous people. And, the, and May because it's when, you know, it's when in 1494 Spain invaded and it's also the date when the British invaded. So we May. need, to, yeah, <laughs> we need to watch May. Yes. So May, <laughs> May is a month when we have to, to do that. So, so yes. So the, the, the so, so Africa before the enslavement must... We, they, they should teach that because then young people wouldn't feel so ashamed of that past. They have to engage in what we call a Sankofa type education and you can see that the Sankofa bird is what we have used at the reparation center. Um, oh. It means go back and fetch it. Oh. But go back and fetch it and also carry on the message. You know, wh- Whatever you go back to fetch, go back to African history, fetch that knowledge and then pass it on. So Sankofa uh, is what we, we use as our symbol. So, after invasion, of course, and the reduction of the Taino population, um, then you had a period of Spanish colonization of Jamaica, where they had livestock farming, and, and then they also brought in African people to, to work on plantations. They, they did try to enslave the Taino people, but uh, again, because of all kinds of reasons, including resistance. And we have to, to, to understand that resistance is the history of the Jamaican people. Now, the, the, the indigenous people tried to run away from that oppression when they didn't have the kind of weapons to resist the weaponry of the invaders. Mm-hmm. And uh, 1655, English chased out Spanish. They brought in even more African people, right? And it, by that time, they don't have any time of people to enslave because they had run away from them or died off. And it was later on that they were able to reconstruct their society. Okay, so we have to understand that. And then, you know, the among the Maroons, they were not only the men, the, the colonels or the leaders, the, the chiefs of the Maroons. We have Nani. That's why Nani is a national heroine. Because 
and again some people think she's a myth but she was a real person born around 1696 okay she and she died around 1733 she had a husband and she had brothers so some of the the brothers are those celebrated like in Akompong and 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 so on you know Kojo and Kwao in 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 Charleston and so on and she's buried up at Bump Grave up in in the Maroon Town in in Portland uh, Moortown where the chief there is the colonel there is Wallace Sterling so students can go up there and talk to Wallace Sterling and see where Nanny's buried and hear the oral history I know she was a real person and nanny told her brothers you know don't sign the treaty that that called cree <laughs> right was <laughs> <laughs> the british wanted to cry cree cuz they were willing to they wanted to fight on you know the tape back jamaica from the colonizers that's what was their mission so that's what the mission of the maroons. the maroons yes so when we but the only problem i have is that long after the treaty should have expired you know when they didn't have to when you know we have emancipation they still felt they had a treaty obligation so they were there in the morant bay war which of course in 1865 in this week the morant bay war would have been going on mm-hmm. led by paul bogle and the men and women of of st thomas and and portland so when i say they should apologize we need reconciliation because we're asking for reconciliation with people who do much worse right so i'm saying that we also need internal reconciliation so that we can carry on carry on in peace and 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 and, and harmony and then of course you had the period of enslavement where the africans were captured and trafficked build, build they built the societies of europe so our heritage when you talk about heritage you have to understand to what we build what our people were capable of because it's not only downtrodden you know laborers who were captured you know they were skilled people people with knowledge people with skills you know some were in fact royalty we know that it's not only that we want to feel good so we say we are from kings and queens they did capture some of these these, these royal royal people and it really and truly if you think about it um they are going to because you can't just get a bunch of people that don't know anything that's not going to profit you much is it so yeah, i can know, see where they'll actually say all right fine if i'm going to capture them, I might as well take some good ones too it's interesting cuz uh my family has uh, the luxury the lo- the luck of knowing and i'm jealous of <laughs> or history in mm. in this part of the world so um it's in my family we we trace our ancestor back to one particular enslaved african named ania so who when he came to jamaica was renamed archibald monteith mm-hmm. and when you read his autobiography and he speaks about what happened to him before and how his life was he says he was royalty he was mm-hmm. a prince mm-hmm. and you know on the day of his, his sister's wedding he was captured while moving from one place to the other mm-hmm. brought and and sold and bought yeah. by John Monteith in Westmoreland so yeah. to be able to know that in and right. to know that absolutely Archibald so you are John and so John had, no, Archibald right. had Thomas and Thomas had Edward mm-hmm. and Edward mm-hmm. had John and John had, had Audley and Audley had Robert and Robert Robert had Christina. So to be able to do ha- that is that amazing. That is that's amazing and yeah. more people should try to to trace that. And we know King Jaja was also captured and taken to another uh, an, um, island in the Caribbean, Barbados. And uh, I know that Alexander Mighty was born in 1829, my great 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 grandfather. Right? And he would have been 6 years old uh, uh, um, at the time at the time of emancipation. So he may have escaped apprenticeship, right? 
So we, we know that, uh, uh, you know, we, we have his death certificate. So the death certificate can give you some information about family links, you know. So more people should engage in that so you realize that you, you never just come here like so. You know, you, you are connected to people and that, can, um, that should empower you. And so and we want to get rid of this idea that we were given our freedom. People died and fought for emancipation. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 British, the British had to legislate. Otherwise, you know, they would lose Jamaica totally. Because from the time of the Taino people, Jamaicans, have, people in our space have been fighting for liberation. Taino people, Maroon people, enslaved African people, joined by mixed race people, you know. And then after emancipation by people who are saying we want the vote, you know. Uh, we want workers' rights. And that's why among the, the pantheon of heroes and heroines that we have, we have people, Nanya from the Maroons, to symbolize that period of our struggle. Sam Sharp, because he led the final emancipation war, 1831-32. You have Bogle, because in the post-slavery period, no justice never come. Amen. So he had to keep up the struggle with Letitia Gohagan. You have to bring in the women, because it wasn't a male struggle, right? From the time of the Taino people, maroon people coming right through you have women who are right there with the men so he wanted justice because just we said justice repairs all crimes you know then in in then we have garvey who is talking about liberating of liberation of the mind, mind and trying to break away from that colonial mentality that people try to impose on us but we have not we're not listening to garvey by the way we're not listening to garvey garveyism should be the the, the, the an ideological direction of Jamaica. But we don't have any ideological direction in Jamaica. Nobody is saying this is this is a Jamaica this is what the Jamaican people should follow. You know? We have a little this, a little that, you know, and that's not much. Then we have, of course, the, the those who were in the worker struggle, like Mandy and Buster who were in the worker struggle. But again, every single hero I think has faults, right? Because there are people who cannot get over what happened in 1963 under the Bustamante regime. And this morning we were talking about how Walter Rodney, brilliant scholar, was expelled um, from Jamaica, you know, because of his philosophy of black liberation, black pride, carrying on Garvey, invoking Garvey and Rastafari. So we, we have to understand where we're coming from, but our identity must be anchored to this empowering past. Otherwise, people are going to still go down, go along bleaching, you know, um, wearing peop- other people here and, and, you know, trying to have a false identity. So I think that that's what I, I really want to stress um, to those of, of, of our people who are listening today. And as you see, they're not just people in Jamaica who are listening. There you go. <laughs> there we go. You go broad. Is, 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 you know, globally relevant. And, you know, like, we have to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to bring Mr. Stephen Golding into the conversation for some more learning and some more education. But, you know, this as you were saying that, you know, if we don't know where we're coming from, we don't know this issue, and we don't have an ideological 
view, uh, an outlook, a guide. Then you're rudderless. All sort of you're rudderless. It's like a ship just drifting and going all over the place. Yeah, man, you have no you, direction. As you talk about land, Walter Rodney, I'm yeah. remembering that, you know, back in the day, there were books that were banned in Jamaica because yes. they promoted black consciousness. And anybody and black who went Cuba, they put your name on a list. There you go. You know? So, and we don't know that, you know. Yes. <laughs> we as as young people, we do not know these that things. That is why history is important. Garvey said is history is a landmark by which we are directed into the true course of life. Somebody just write that on a billboard and put it somewhere. So yes. everybody see it on it. Yes. Just put it at every main point. Yes. And since you are the tweeting generation and, and the Instagram generation and if well I think you're not so much Facebook anymore because yeah. the old people take it over kind of thing <laughs> kind of vibe yes it's a vibe but you have to hashtag hashtag right? and, and ensure Garfield that our so. people know that and it's great that you're going to have Steve after this because I know the power of his philosophy yes alright so let's formally thank Professor Marine Shepard for being here with us, for being our guide and our educator today. We really appreciate it more than we can talk about. We and always for always it. supporting us because she's always. always there. You know, like we love you. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you so much and keep up the good work. You are doing great work. You have to reach young people. You have to carry on the struggle long after I am gone and the rest of us who are in my age group. We have been struggling for a long time. But because of media, because of the, the, the what you watch on TV, because of the books that you read, you're not reading the, the right books, you're not reading the books by the revisionist historians, you're not watching empowering programs. And I'd like to ask people to really watch a trial of Governor Aaron on, on Heritage, um, National Heroes Day, 3 p.m. TVJ. I mean, I work at TVJ now, but still. <laughs> they are going to broadcast that. And then you will learn more about the, the role of Gordon, who mm -hmm. we didn't talk about. George William Gordon and Paul Bogle and the people of St. Thomas. It was called St. Thomas My in place. the East. It was <laughs> called St. Thomas in the East at that time. Okay. Um, and now St. Thomas. Mm -hmm. We have to understand why Morant being significant in our history. And read Clinton Hutton's book, right? Because, you know, really, it's it's... Clinton is a and congratulations to Clinton because he's been made professor. Hey. And Dr. Donna Hope, professor. Hey. And they can Ooh. Yeah, so they can profess some more. Yes. Need <laughs> <laughs> the professing. Right yes. as we go to the break. Uh, trial of Governor Air, 3 p.m. when? Monday, Monday. on TVJ. Alright. Mm -hmm. We're now missing that one. Make day. sure they learn about Paul Bogle and Gordon through Big Drama. up St. Thomas. <laughs> Bye, please. Love it. Bye, everything. That anyway, we have to take a break. We're still coming. Thank you <laughs> again. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Talk of you, Mister. Talk of you. Yes. Your worst 
Marcus Gavin words come to pass. Marcus Gavin words come to pass. Can't get no food to eat. Can't get no money to spend. Can't get no food to eat. Can't get no money to spend. And we're back on Talk Up Radio Show because Christina literally just threw me under the bus. <laughs> I did not. I'm joking. But we again are the voice of the Jamaican youth. And today we are the voice show- teaching you culture. We're the voice teaching you a little bit about heritage. And we have a powerful voice on the line to teach us some more <laughs> about everything um, that we really don't know, that we really need to know, and that you need to know christina so yeah if you've been listening from this morning you would have heard prof shepherd running through different annals of our history starting from with the tanos and coming up through you know going to africa before enslavement coming through enslavement period here she touched on um the post-emancipation period so if we're going chronologically which we are we are currently going into the 1900s into the new century you know the new dawn the world is developing and you know wars are about to be fought and black consciousness is rising you know we emancipated but we're still not independent and that's the position we're starting from with mr stephen Golding, the big bad man himself. And I think we're ready for Mr. Golding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we can call him um, Papa S. You know, like we're Mama, Mama e. Mentor. <laughs> <laughs> if he more add up, we still. Yeah, no problem. I'm sure he has space for us all. <laughs> Good Mr. Morning. Golding. <laughs> Morning, guys. Sure, I'd love to adopt you all. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I won't have to be changing any pampers. True, very true. <laughs> you, you passed the worst. <laughs> yes, you have. We just really need to be fed. Once we have food, we're good. Cafe Africa. Say that now. Hey. <laughs> How are you doing this morning, Mr. Golding? Morning, morning, guys. I've been listening and tuning in. Very interesting topic so far. Um, it was wonderful to hear Professor Shepard, and, and it's, it's so important we understand the chronology of our history, um, especially when it comes to, to resistance and the whole emergence of Pan-Africanism. A lot of times, you know, we think our slavery begins, our history begins with slavery and Columbus, um, but it goes way before that into antiquity, and even during the period of slavery, it's important to know that we resisted. We resisted on the continent, we fought on the ships, we fought in the ports. Um, I, I want to make one point, though. I mean, a lot of times I hear when we speak about the Maroons, we often refer to this treaty. It's important that Jamaica understand. I, I did a series of lectures with the National Heritage Trust this week, and it's a point I kept emphasizing. Um, that Jamaica is not unique in that the British had the Maroons sign a treaty saying they would um, not support the escape of, of further, uh, the further escape of enslaved Africans or harbor them. Um, and the Jamaican Maroon community um, is not the first um, in terms of, of, of an African, a, a community of African resistance. We have to remember that the Palenques of, of, of Colombia um, Benkos Bioho is older than Nani. Um, Ganga Zumba and Zumbi of, 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 of the Quilombos of Brazil. We're talking um, early 1600s. 
Um, Nanny, as our history shows us, lived somewhere between the 1670s, 1680s, um, coming up to the 1740s or so forth. So it's important that we understand that. So there's a lot of, of resistance. And as, as Prof said, yes, you know, so it's the, part of our, you know, heritage. Yes, and the Spanish and the Portuguese in treating with the Quilombos and the Palenques and the Jucas um, all use that, that treaty, that treaty trickery. Okay, so is that thing with them a long time? We will recognize your sovereignty, but you also can no longer um, interfere with our, our slave trade. You cannot, you cannot be stealing our slaves, so to speak. And furthermore, that you um, is called upon to help defend the nation or our colony um, from enemies within and without, you will have to acquiesce to that. So it, it was a tried and, 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 and tested theory. Colonel Guthrie was not the first to suggest that the colonizing powers sign a treaty. It was done by the Spanish, it was done by the Portuguese before the British did it in Jamaica. Tricks in trade. All right. So we're into the 1900s now, but I know if we're going to start with what happened in Jamaica's development starting in the 1900s, you might have to take it back a little bit and look at the post-emancipation period as well to set the stage for the rising of black consciousness and why it was important. So we're just going to give you the floor to talk about, you know, coming up through to Garveyism and all of that. We, we kind of need to understand what happened after emancipation and why these things happened. Um, well, I know you guys have covered emancipation, the efforts by people like Sam Sharp and others, which really was building up on a momentum that had been developed over the two centuries before, which culminated with the establishment of the first black empire, first black republic in the West, with the liberation of Haiti. This really frightened um, um, the colonizing powers and, and, and rush them towards emancipation. And let me make this point. We talk a lot about, when we speak about emancipation, we mention names like Granville Sharp and, and William Wilberforce. But it's time we start um, mentioning names like Oluwada Equiano, like uh, Otoba Coguano, like um, Ignatius Sancho. These were free Africans who resided in London in the late 1700s and who, through the relation of their own story through slavery, much like Archibald Monteith, who you mentioned earlier, um, were able to bring the horrors of it to the wider public in Britain. And this is what started the abolitionist movement. Even the, 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 the situation of the Zong, which made its last port here in, in Jamaica and became a big case having to do with insurance fraud and so forth, which is what they said really spurred the abolitionist movement to victory. Um, that was brought to Granville Sharp's attention by Oluwada Equiano. Equiano and Kotoba were a part of a group known as the Sons of Africa. The Sons of Africa were um, black loyalists, consisted of black loyalists who had supported the British against the American in the Revolutionary War with, with the promise of their freedom. And when the British lost that war, they had to relocate these Africans who were now free. Some of them ended up in Nova Scotia, some of them came to Jamaica, like George Lyle, who started the Native Baptist movement, of which later George William Gordon and Paul Bogle emerged out of. Um, um, some of them went to England, like Equiano. Um, well, Equiano is not a, a black loyalist, but ended up in England. And so you had a population of freed Africans living in, 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 in the UK 
in the mid 17 late 1700s going into the 1800s and this is what spurred the british to even purchase and set up the colony of sierra leone because they had a growing black population that they they didn't know what to do with some felt they couldn't stay here so they were sent to places like sierra leone america followed suit with their colonization society and established liberia um and it became uh, a part of the birthing of the Pan-African movement. These movements of Africans who had been enslaved, who are no longer necessarily um, focused uh, on, on their tribal affiliation anymore, but see themselves as part of a wider race that was in distress and that was in a struggle at the time. So coming up to the 1900s now, we have two very important um, um, events that took place at the end of the 19th century following emancipation following emancipation the freeing of the Africans in the colonies we have to we have to be conscious of the fact that Europe now made another move um, when it comes to Africa and that was the invasion and colonization of the continent see during the slave trade they had circumvented the coast and and were trading with Africans and unfair trade a trade by force in some cases, but nonetheless, they had not seriously begun to set up themselves in terms of taking um, charge of, 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 of the land and, and, and trying to hold the continent as a colony. Um, this began after the emancipation um, of the Africans in the West, and it started in 1884 to 1885 with the, with the Berlin Conference that took place in Germany. It was hosted by Chancellor Bismarck and King Leopold II of Belgium. And it is where the nations of Europe, with the U.S. there as observers, sat down and carved up the continent of Africa. If you look at a map of Africa right now, all those geographical demarcations that, 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 that mark the borders of countries, that was not developed or drawn by Africans or decided by Africans but rather by Europeans who sat in a conference for over six months and decided who would take what. England, you take Nigeria, Ghana, um, etc., etc. France, you take Guinea, Mali, uh, Central Africa, Germany, you take Togo, Cameroon, Tanzania, um, the Netherlands, you would be given um, these countries, South Africa, um, etc., Namibia, uh, and, there, and Spain itself, Canary Islands, Equatorial Guinea, Italy, Somalia, um, places like Eritrea, Libya, um, they literally sat down and carved up the continent and shared it up amongst themselves without any discussion or any concern to the Africans who had been living there for thousands of years. But this is an important event, 1884, 1885. Um, also in the, in, in the early 1880s, we have the emergence of a philosophy and a movement known as Ethiopianism. A lot of Jamaicans don't know about this, but this is really the root of, of Pan-Africanism, even the, the root of Rastafarianism, um, if you want to look at those aspects of our culture. Ethiopianism emerged out of the Methodist um, and Anglican churches, and this is the only facet of, of, of Pan-Africanism that was actually developed on the continent of Africa. It occurred when black South African clergy, realizing that they weren't being ordained or advanced in the hierarchy of the church, um, decided to break away from the white churches and establish the African churches, right? And they call these the Ethiopian churches. It's, it, it was predicated on a study of the Bible saying that Europe 
for so long has used the Bible to justify our enslavement and our our supposed inferiority. And for those of you who don't know that, they, they have this, this biblical reference to the children of Noah, one of them being Ham, his son, who is supposed to be the, 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 the progenitor of the African race, who saw his father in, in, in a drunken stupor and naked, and because of this, his father cursed him that his descendants should be cures of wood and drawers of water. And for a long time, the Christian church, Christianity itself, balanced their involvement in the slave trade because they bought and sold slaves too, um, based on this theory. Well, these clergy began to comb through the Bible, since the Bible is the canon law of the church, and began to show the, the, the references to Africa, biblical references that spoke to our greatness. Their chief passage came from Psalm 68, verses 31, which, which later Marcus Garvey adopted as the ritual of the UNIA, which says, Princes shall come out of Egypt, and Ethiopia shall stretch forth her hands unto God. And there are other references, such as Solomon, who says, I am black and I am comely, um, feet like bronze. The Ethiopian cannot change his skin, neither the leopard his spots, and so forth. And so they use these passages to justify the history of black people, the fact that the Bible referenced us as a great people, speaking about such meetings as Sol between Solomon and Makeda of Ethiopia and so forth, and this created the Ethiopianist movement, which later developed such theories as black supremacy, out of which Rastafari emerged. The second event that took place coming into the 20th century took place in, the, in 1900, um, in the month of July, July 23rd to 25th, 1900 in London and it is the first time that the term Pan-Africanism is ever used it is coined by a Bayesian barrister who really grew up in Trinidad so identified as a Trinidadian his name was Henry Sylvester Williams he had many accomplishments in his life he think he was the first black man to, 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 to graduate with a law degree from, from grazing um, in England um, he's the first black man to be registered and practice law um, in South Africa. And he's also the first black man to coin the term Pan-Africanism. He held a conference in London in which he brought together Africans from all over the globe. You had people like Benito Sylvain from Haiti, who also represented Emperor Menelik II of Ethiopia. You had people like Samuel Coleridge um, Taylor, who is a very famous classical um, musician um, in London at the time, a black man. He's a composer of Hiawatha's Feast, for those of you who's familiar with classical music. You had people like William Eugene Burgard Dubois, W.E.B. Dubois, the first black man to graduate from Harvard, who attended on behalf of the Americans. You had people like um, um, uh, George Christian from Dominica, and a number of other early African descendants who now began to conceptualize of the fact that the issues facing Africans was not specific to their nationality or geographical location, was, but was more so an attack on the entire race, and therefore a solution should be sought through the collective of the race. Now, when you hear me say those things, you, you would think of Marcus Garvey, because these are the philosophies that he expounded on. Yet I'm speaking of an event that took place 14 years before he himself organized the UNIA, 12 years before he himself even traveled to London where this conference took place. 
And so it's a very important event that people should, 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 should remember and recognize in terms of our strugglement and the development of our race, given our particular historical circumstances. So that's the Pan-African Conference of the 1900s. Also present at that conference was one Deuce Muhammad Ali, who later, became, who later hired a young journalist to work on his paper, the African Times and Orient Review, in 1912. That young man's name was Marcus Mosiah Garvey, and he had just arrived in London um, at that time and was employed. So Marcus Garvey emerged now in the early 20th century, standing on the shoulders of these movements and these men before him. Um, another important event that took place just before the 1900 was the victory of Ethiopia over Italy. As I mentioned before, the Europeans carved up the continent in 1884-85 and then went out to claim their prizes or their designations. All of them were victorious, except for Italy when it came to their conquest of Ethiopia. They were severely rebuffed and defeated by Emperor Menelik II and his wife, Empress Taitu, who at that time governed the empire of Ethiopia. And because of this, Ethiopia emerged as the only nation on the continent of our ancestors who managed to defeat a European invasion and, and managed to maintain their sovereignty from antiquity until this time. The colors of Ethiopia are green, yellow, and red and it has been their flag for thousands of years. Because of their victory, they stood out like a lighthouse, like a symbol to the rest of the continent and indeed to the entire race. And it is the reason why the Ethiopian colors now are now associated with Pan-Africanism and Rasta and consciousness. Um, it was because of that victory and because they proved to the world that the Africans could defend their own, could maintain their sovereignty, and therefore could experience their history continuously and uninterrupted by European invasion and slavery. So the Ethiopianist movement, the victory of, 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 it, of Ethiopia against Italy, the emergence of Pan-Africanism in, 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 in 1900, all of this set the stage for what took place in the 20th century and the emergence of people like Marcus Garvey, who then became the first person to organize a mass movement within the race of such a caliber that had never seen before or has never been seen since. And, and right so on that know, note. <laughs> we all know the history of our first national hero. Yeah, man. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about that and then just launch off into the last, what's it, 50 or so years of our history to kind of wrap up this conversation. I can't. I couldn't even break you because it was no. just a flow of knowledge. We we're here making notes like what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. But we still come to a break. When we come back, we have some more of this type of knowledge and information right here on Talk Up Radio. We're talking about our history and our culture, brought to you by the UE Open Campus and the Caribbean Maritime University. Soon forward, Talk Up Musefi. Talk Up Nationality. 
right here on Talk Up Radio, the voice of the Jamaican youth on Nationwide 90FM, brought to you by the UE Open Campus and the Caribbean Maritime Insti- uh, University. Yeah, big we're up, still getting CMU. used to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're still getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, man. And I mean, the knowledge that's being shared here today, I would just sit down and listen to this for hours. Just yes. hours of it. All this culture talk, all this heritage talk, Professor Vereen Shepard, yes. and now we have Mr. Stephen Golding. I feel like there has to be a part two. There has to be a part two. We can't cover the, the significance of, even if we recounted the, the incidents, we can't impress the significance of what happened on you in, in two hours. It, it just not work. But to not waste any more time, we're going to just hand it over back to Mr. Stephen Golding and he's going to run through starting with Garveyism and the post um, in the 1900s coming up to like the last 50 years through independence so that we know some more of I what happened then. I think he was then. somewhere in the 1920s, there about. Yeah, yeah. So he was, he was right working his coast, way up. Yeah. So <laughs> back to you, Mr. Golding. Yeah, so, so Garvey built upon Pan-Africanism and that is why he's considered... Um, really the, 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 the father of modern Pan-Africanism, so to speak. You know, people recognize Edward Wilmot Blyden as the grandfather. Um, you need to look him up if you don't know who he is. He's, he's an African descendant from the Danish West Indies, which later became the U.S. Virgin Islands, who repatriated um, back to Liberia, eventually becoming the Secretary of State there. But he's a professor and a writer at the, at the time of the emergence of the Ethiopianist movement, and he popularizes it through his writings, um, which influences Henry Sylvester Williams, who calls the Pan-African Congress, um, um, the first Pan-African Congress in 1900. Now, following that Congress, uh, Henry Williams travels around the world, establishing different branches. He comes to Jamaica, and he links with the member of parliament at the time for the parish of St. Andrew, who is a Bahamian medical doctor by the name of Dr. Joseph Robert Love. Too many Jamaicans don't know who this man is. But this man becomes a mentor to a young Marcus Mosiah Garvey. And he in, in, in himself, Dr. Love, that is, has such an interesting history. He's the first black man to graduate from the School of Medicine in the University of Buff- at the University of Buffalo in New York. But he wants to study um, religion. He wants to become a clergy. So he's very active in the Methodist Church. And he then moves to Haiti, where he is appointed chief medical officer for the city of Port-au-Prince. While he's in Haiti, he keeps such company as the U.S. consul, basically the U.S. ambassador to Haiti at the time, who is a man by the name of Frederick Douglass. I don't know how many of you know who this man is. You should. Um, Frederick Douglass had escaped from slavery, become a part of the U.S. abolitionist movement, and eventually became the, the sort of chief black politician of his time. Um, he was a confidant of Abraham Lincoln, became a recorder of deeds, and eventually became the U.S. ambassador to Haiti. Well, he influences love, who then moves to Jamaica. And this is following, um, um, you know, they had suspended self-governance following the Morant Bay Rebellion and self-governance returned 
um, a, a, a few decades later, closer to the 1880s. And so we had very few Negro legislators in the House of Representatives. One of them was Alexander Dixon. The second one was Dr. Joseph Robert Love, who wasn't even born here, but moved here from Haiti, um, um, was, was educated, um, wealthy enough, a property um, um, owner and taxpayer. And so he became the member of parliament for St. Andrew. Well, Henry Sylvester Williams comes here, and when he's setting up his Pan-African um, Association branch in Jamaica, his main point of contact is Robert Love. Now, unfortunately, Robert Love gets falls ill in 1905, right? Uh, no, sorry. He falls ill somewhere around 1912. He became a member of parliament in 1905, but a few years later became ill. Um, and eventually died in 1914. 1914 is the year that Marcus Garvey returns from, from England, establishes the UNIA, and in fact the UNIA's first major social event happened to be a memorial service for Dr. Robert Joseph Love in which Marcus Garvey eulogizes him. If you read Robert Hill's paper, you can see what he said, but you begin to understand just how much influence this man had on him and how impressed with love Garvey was. So I, I, I lay this out to show you the connection between Marcus Garvey and the Pan-Africanist movement. There's a direct link from Garvey to love to Henry Sylvester. So we see now Garvey now emerging as the son of the Pan-African movement, and he becomes its greatest champion. Moving to the United States, Expanding the organization, he calls the first International Convention of the Negro People of the World in 1920, which mirrors the Pan-African Congress that Williams called 20 years before, but it's on a much wider scale. Garvey draws 25,000 delegates, each delegate representing 1,000 members of the race. So he calls on a delegation of 25,000 but really representing 400 million black people across the globe. And I have to say that out of that convention comes a very important document that we don't pay enough attention to. Yes. That document is called the Declaration of Rights of the Negro people. people of the World. It was fashioned just the same way that the Americans fashioned their constitution where they, when they declared their independence from England and out of which came the American Revolutionary War and the establishment of now the, what we now know as the great United States of America. I believe that's what Trump says he's going to make them great again. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this was the idea that Garvey seized upon, saying that if they could do that, why can't black people who have a common problem facing common enemies around the world and facing suppression through the institutionalism of racism, the institutionalization of racism, um, why cannot we not come together, deliberate, delegate, and now profess to the world that we are a sovereign people who will accept nothing less than this? And so that, that convention put out 54 declarations, which um, even at this time as we now begin to talk about reparations and, and, and begin to put our shoulder to the wheel to, to see that battle through to its end, um, it's a document, I think, that should seriously influence us. It calls for free education. It calls for the freedom of the movement of black people across the world. 
Um, it calls for a number of things. The fact that every black person has an inherent right to possess himself of Africa. I really want your listeners to look it up. Google it. The Declaration of Rights of the Negro People of the World. And that happened in 1920. Also in 1920, 1921, Garvey is, 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 has become now the first black icon. He has a major organization with over 12 million members with, with over a thousand divisions around the world. Um, um, and he begins to set the foundation um, for what later developed into the Black Power Movement and, and, and other movements. And what am I talking about? At the same convention in 1920, uh, a gentleman is appointed head of the Midwest divisions of the UNIA. He's the president of the Omaha division, and he happens to meet his wife at the convention. What is his name? His name is Earl Little. A couple of years later, he would have several children one of which he would name Malcolm, who would later go on to change his name from Malcolm Little to Malcolm X, and then to Malik El Shabazz, right? So we see a chronology, and we see a, a, a connection between the struggles of the Maroons coming into the liberation of Haiti, to the emancipation of slavery, to the Ethiopianist movement, to the defeat of Italy, to the emergence of Pan-Africanism, to the emergence of Marcus Garvey, to, he, to, the, to, 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 to him later disseminating that down through to the nation of Islam, people like Malcolm X, the, the call for reparations, and even the, the struggle for civil rights in America. All of this came out of the Garvey movement. So sometimes I don't think we appreciate just how great our first national hero is and how influential he was, not only in Jamaica, but across the United States, even stretching into South America and touching Europe and into the continent of Africa, where he is immortalized and memorialized. Um, um, on the flag of Ghana with the black flag, with its black star, on the flag of Kenya with its red, black, and green, Jomo Kenyatta and Kwame Nkrumah, who incidentally his daughter was here just this week, um, um, were all affiliated with the UNIA and influenced by Garvey and Garveyism. Um, uh, the UNIA um, influenced the establishment of the Pan African Congress in South Africa through people like um, Sol Klaiki. Um, out of which emerged people like Nelson Mandela. So uh, right there is where the <laughs> we struggle. To the struggle Mr. <laughs> and even though it is happening all over the continent, it is important for us as a people not to separate them and see them as circumstantial, coincidental events happening. But there is a common thread that runs through it, and it's for us to know our history, to see how they are connected. The Black Power Movement influenced Jamaica, too. We're talking about incidents like the Coral Garden incident involving the Rastafarians. We're talking about people like Walter Rodney. Um, Leonard Howell, the first Rasta who established the Rastafari religion, um, was a member of the UNIA. And his Ethiopian Salvation Society kept the same address at 76 King Street, which is now, which is which we know as Liberty Hall. Um, so there, there is there is an important thread that connects the Pan African movement. The Pan African movement, and I say this, is the only positive thing that we can say came out of slavery. If it was not for the transatlantic slave trade. I'm not sure we would have developed a philosophy now known as Pan-Africanism, which says that our 
our futures are linked. Our present, our present is linked, meaning that there is a common issue that faces us as Africans, not just on the continent of Africa, but also in the diaspora. That philosophy emerged out of the heart, out of the blood, sweat, and tears of our ancestors who fought and resisted slavery um, with the hope of reuniting with the African family one day. Wow! <laughs> we really have. We can't. How do you sum up? How do you how do you move on from that kind of just flow, stream of consciousness, of of information, and just empowerment, guys? Don't you feel powerful? Like I feel like I'm connected to this thread of of you know like intellectualism and and work and and protection of our race and movements to to advance it like. Wow. <laughs> so we have to take a break. When we come back, we have more to talk about as we wrap up this show. Talk up you, Mzefi. Talk up you. Love and hate can never be friends. Oh no. Oh no. Here I come. <laughs> Mr. Dennis Brown. Hey, hey. <laughs> Music. All right. Well, we have to go. So let's just wrap up with Mr. Stephen Golding, who has been giving us all the information we need to know about everything. You're listening to Talk Up Radio well, on no, Nationwide. No, we, really need, we really need like a four, I don't know, five or sh- I don't know. We need a long show because yeah. I'm telling you, this information and a. <laughs> Ooh, and we're not even halfway there. Yeah, man, I was saying to Prof Shepard when she was here that we need to do this for politics as well. We yes. don't know the history of Jamaican politics. We don't know how the different things that we do now are shaped by things that were done before and policies instituted by the colonizers and all of them. So, like, we don't know these we things. We don't know these things. And then what we're grateful for are the people that know, like Mr. Golding. Who are uh, willing to talk. Who are willing and to tell talk us. because without them, oh my God, I feel like the knowledge will just die and then we'll just be here, like, you know, no anchor. Yeah. No anchor. So, talk up historians. Talk up big people who know and teach. So, right as we give Mr. Stephen Golding some time to just wrap up and tell us, you know, about the Center for Reparation Research and that kind of thing. Now, we talked to Mr. O'Shane about the way forward, you know, as a young person who is doing the work and, and stepping into the shoes of these people. How do the rest of us keep a pace with, with the movement and the knowledge? So, Mr. Golding, you still here? Yes, still there, and you guys bring up some very good points in terms of policy, and and that's where I want to begin. Um, The fact that our ancestors um, fought, resisted, but nonetheless suffered through the transatlantic slave trade and coming into emancipation and the wicked period of, of, um, I call it internship, Um, um, they call it apprenticeship, Um, and then um, struggling for our political freedom. The, the, the word policy is key there because not only did the, the slave owners receive compensation while we didn't, but even coming into independence, I do not believe that our leaders critically examined the effect that the three, four hundred years of oppression and brutalization had, had upon us in, in, in terms of formulating policies for the healing and for the repairing and so we have now in 2017 um emerging out of caricom and in the various nations reparations commission because 
we have not received reparations, we have to still be talking about it and pursuing it. And just as you all said earlier that, you know, the information I've tried to give you is to show that there, there is a common thread, that there is a continuity in our history of struggle, of resistance, and of the fight for justice. I want the young people to understand that the reparations movement they see going on now are not to be taken lightly. This is serious, serious business. And we are duty-bound to the memory of our ancestors who stayed alive through the transatlantic holocaust who stayed alive with the hope of a return and a reunification with their families that generations later we are duty bound to honor the honor that we are obligated to continue the fight and see it through to victory and the reparations movement represents that I don't want us to get bogged down in silly things about money and lots of scamming and, 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 and to belittle the, the idea um, of reparations. It is a continuation of the fight that Nanny fought, of the fight that Paul Bogle fought, Sam Sharp, Marcus Garvey, and we have a duty to do our part. So that being said, the National Council on Reparations with the CARICOM Reparations Commission this week We'll be launching its Youth Reparations Rally. We're going to be going across the island starting in St. Thomas on Thursday. And we want young people to come out. It's going to be happening on Tuesdays of Thursday every week from now until the end of the year. The last one will be Montego Bay on December 27th. Now, I don't want to preempt anything because there will be a media launch, I believe, this Wednesday. And all the information will be disseminated. But I just want to get your ears pricked. So that you are looking out and listening out to do your part. We have a lot of youth groups involved. The youth parliaments are involved. The, 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 the union of tertiary students is involved. We're trying to get the police youth clubs involved. Of course, talk of youth will be involved. The involved. Um, but we want young people to come out and show their support for reparations because we want to share a clear and critical signal to all those countries that sat at those at the table at the conference of Berlin in 1884 and 1885 Carved and up the continent. out this diabolical social experiment and invasion of our ancestors' homeland that they are going to have to answer it and the buck stops here. Right here. So the reason why the reparation movement has lagged is because there's a lack of an awareness and a lack of an appreciation. We want all of that to end this year and with this generation. There is no question about the fact that we're entitled to reparations. Slavery was a crime against humanity by all UN standards. Um, a crime against humanity has no limits of statutation. So this idea that we weren't involved and we didn't live through slavery, get that foolishness out of your mind. This is what we do to honor the struggle and the death and the memory of our ancestors who existed and struggled and suffered so that we could be alive today. And if we don't answer that call, right? Well. 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 <laughs> right there. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Golding. We can't pay you for that kind of knowledge and information and, and advice and, and just a charge to us, the young people, to take on this movement and understand where it's coming from. It's not a hurry come up something. It's not a scam. It is a, our duty. 
and we are obligated to honor our ancestors in this way. Thank you so much for doing the work and putting in, in, in the time and the effort to, to talk to us and to give us this information. Thanks for having me, Christina, and, 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 and big up to the talk of you, team. Hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> big up my friends and, and, and Zippor and Kush Kush. And everybody. Hi, everybody. Big family, which we're a part of. Yes. Yes, <laughs> we have been officially adopted. All right. All right, and play some more Peter Tash for me. It's his birthday on Thursday. Okay, right, for, no sure, for sure, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, so Mr. Shane Robinson, Communications Consultant, the National Heritage Trust. You've heard the biggest historians talking about all that we need to know about our past and, and where we're coming from. But where do we go from here? How do we connect with this information on like a daily basis? Where can we go? What do we need to know? Well, first and foremost, the information is all. The information is everywhere around us. But... Um, it again is boiled down to public knowledge and at the Jamaica National Heritage Trust our mandate is to protect, promote and preserve Jamaica's material cultural legacy and um, within the, the, the department that I'm a part of, the communications department, we actively go out into the parishes, into the schools to spread this message. Now you can always come to the Jamaica National Heritage Trust for more information. You can invite us to come into your communities, come into your youth groups, into the schools, or whatever function you're having, we'd be more than happy to appear, bring artifacts that speaks to various aspects of our cultural legacy because it's the artifacts that help us to understand the story of the past. Professor Shepard spoke about the Tainos. We have a wide array of Tainos. Um, I'm sorry, I know that we have to make it quick here, but can you just give us some, an idea or some ideas of what these artifacts are? What are they? Um, bowls are there? They're bowls, zemis, we have ceramics, pottery, we have the griddle for which they used to make um, the bami because they were the, the, the Tainos were actually scientists because they figured out how to extract the poisonous juice from the cassava oh, wow. in order to, to create bami. Mm -hmm. They gave us um, barbecue, tobacco, so well, many things, hammocks, like there's more than, there's amazing what, what the tainos were able yep, to do. There are a lot of stuff and um, this being Heritage Month, the Jamaica National Heritage Trust is quite active right across the island. We had a Heritage Expo in Seville earlier this week. There'll be another one in Falmouth next Wednesday. And on that day, we will be launching the Heritage Map of Jamaica as well. What's that? Well, it's a project that was done a few, about two years ago. Uh, yeah, about two years ago, we started this project while I was an intern at TPDCO. And that map is has been completed and the Ministry of Tourism... What's the map though? What's on the map? It showcases the heritage sites of Jamaica that can oh. accommodate <laughs> moderate to heavy um, traffic. traffic because the aim is to protect our heritage as best as possible, but at the same time, allow communities to benefit financially from our heritage assets in a sustained manner that ensures that the authenticity of the sites are maintained and preserved so that it can contribute to the sustainable development of our nation and mm -hmm. meets the, it, it actually will help to contribute towards Vision 2030 and the, the wider UNESCO um, development goals. All right, yes. guys, so you know where you're supposed to go. You know who you can consult to find information. Um, Quickly, again, uh, can you remind us or just tell us of one or two places that are, you know, like really important to our history that, you know, you think that we should visit, you think that, listen, young people, no need for God, so that's two or three. Thanks. Well, I think personally, 
um, persons should visit the civil property, Port Royal, and of course 79 Duke Street, which is the home of the Jamaica National Heritage Trust, and also the Blue and Dranko Mountain, not just the peak side, but also the maroon component. That you said three, but I gave you four. <laughs> and I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. With civil, civil is considered the 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 cradle of Jamaica's um, modern Jamaica, actually, because the Tainos occupied the space first. When the Europeans, the Spaniards invaded, they settled there as well. And then when the British came, they also settled there. And that is the this the space where Africans were introduced to Jamaica. So it's rich with so history it's, it's and, and importance and significance. Very much so. And um actually the three Africans are actually buried on the property and every year through Emancipation Jubilee we honor our ancestors. And um, one of the four bodies were found actually, and one was sent was repatriated back to Africa, and the other three are buried on the property, and um, that is this is the longest running um, celebration of emancipation within the the, the Caribbean, and um, by visiting that site you get a you get a glimpse into the past, and you actually get to walk the space where our ancestors walked, and you get a better appreciation and understanding of our culture. Through Port Royal, you get to see what piracy was all about. Mm -hmm. Because we all hear about piracy and we don't really know what piracy is. And actually, it's up. It's next up for inscription on the World Heritage List. We have the Blue and Janka Mountain already. And by the way, we're the first country within, within the region to have a mixed World Heritage property because of the maroon culture and the, the, the natural um, flora and fauna of the Blue and Janka Mountain. Um, with headquarters house now it is important because that's where george william garden was actually arrested and taken to um saint thomas to be hung um it was the it was the home of a farmer um plantation um slave trader then it became the colonial war office and then the seat of government for jamaica so it shows the adaptive reuse of a historical space and it is rich in history and most of the furniture from the old parliament is actually there and we have tours going on there and it also links back to the reparations youth baton relay which starts this thursday in saint thomas we will be there we'll be taking artifacts so persons can see the mm -hmm. horrors of slavery and learn more about what reparations is because professor shepherd will be there and mr golden and others so if you're in the area in saint thomas please come out to learn more about reparations and how you can be involved, become more involved with the process. All right. Thank you so much, Oshin. But we really have to run. Really? It's been a big, fantastic show. And we learned so much and we're really excited that we could, we were able to do this. Thanks, Professor Shepard. Thanks, Mr. Stephen Golding. Thank you, Oshin Robinson from the National Heritage Trust, your communications council. Yeah, man. So we gotta go. Thank <laughs> you for listening to Talk Up Radio this morning. We're coming back next week with some more innovative, amazing topics. And this is our contribution to the reparation movement, to the movement for resistance of, of enslavement and that kind of thing. We are using digital media to get it out. Talk Up Radio is brought to you by the UE Open Campus and the Caribbean Maritime University. I'm Christina. I'm Andrika. And we, we got to go. Talk Up Ute, Masefi. Talk Up Ute. Everyone is crying out for peace. Yeah.